Hey, I'm Emma. I'm Shannon. And welcome to this podcast, Doesn't Exist. Woo! Oh, I just remembered what I was supposed to tell you. Oh. <laughs> um, so I got a new desk chair uh-huh. from Ikea, mm-hmm. and obviously I needed to get rid of the desk chair that I had, and so I put it on Facebook Marketplace, mm-hmm. sold it, mm-hmm. and this girl today was like, I'll come and grab it. Mm-hmm. And so I hauled it out to her out the front door and she's like, thanks so much, you know, does the Venmo. And she goes, so I snooped a little on your Facebook page. So, and she was like, I saw you had a podcast. <laughs> What's up? And she goes, me and my best friend have been wanting to start a podcast. And I'm just really excited that like, I've met someone who, who genuinely does it. And I was like, ah. Oh. Thank you. That's What's so up, sweet. Kelly from Facebook Marketplace? <laughs> Thank you, Caroline. Her name was Caroline. If you listen, yes. Well, she said that she was gonna she was gonna start listening, uh, which What's I up? really appreciate. But um, her and her best friend are going to start a podcast called uh, "Vibing with Vino" because her best friend is basically a sommelier. Cute. Um, and she's like, I'm just a, a like a psych psychology doctorate like she's she's getting her doctorate in psychology mm-hmm. and she was like i'm just gonna be there for the drinking and the gossip so i mean let us know you want to do a crossover episode right why what wine pairs well with the missing persons case <laughs> i actually that would be really fun is that weird Slide that I find into that our fun? DMs, Caroline. Seriously, that would be a lot or of fun. Or Emma's Facebook DMs. Yeah, all my messages or whatever. She said that she would send me the first episode when they... That's so like, cute. Ah, so okay. I was really excited. Sorry, I'm I'm actually really glad that I didn't tell you until we were recording. There you go. I mean, if I've learned anything, you just start recording. You're like the FBI. I do. I never know when you're recording. About eight minutes at the beginning before we started... There's like, some incriminating information. <laughs> it's not going to be available. <laughs> I mean, if you up, what, $500 Patreon level. <laughs> yeah, it's like the extreme the level. The vault. The vault of secrets. <laughs> yeah. The extreme level. <sighs> All right. So let's do our usual housekeeping, house sweeping. If you have any podcast suggestions, topic suggestions, not like what other podcasts you want us to do, like that would be a lot. What topic suggestions you have for us. For either of us, make sure you mark them as such. If you have any stories that you'd like to tell us, we usually read them um, on the pod for the first time, so feel free to surprise us, and every one of them has been written well so far, so I'm not worried about anyone writing some bad ones. So go ahead, send those. All that kind of stuff. Just send us whatever you want to at this podcast doesn't exist at gmail.com. And what else, Shannon? What else do they need well, to do? Well, they should follow us. All the places. Oh, that's right. Uh, mostly Instagram at this podcast doesn't exist. You can also DM us any of those things that Emma just said. Do you think we should do a once a month, once a quarter switcheroo where I do an Emma topic and Emma does a me topic? Let us know. Slide into our DMs, like, follow. You can also share with your friends. Share on your story. I'm going to shout out our friend Shelby every whoop, whoop. Friday. Every Friday. She posts to our st- uh, to her story like, hey, it's Friday. Listen to this. So. And she just binged like four episodes in a row Hi, with her Tom, husband. A different hey, Tom. Hey, Tom. Another Tom. Oh my gosh. We're I completely forgot. Them. We're collecting some Toms. Yes. What's up, Tom? Uh, whenever yep, you listen buddy. to this. If you listen to this. Thanks for listening when you were in traffic. 
Um, you can also find us on Twitter and Facebook and TikTok. Oh, yeah, you have a Facebook now, you guys. We also, fairly soon, not sure when it's going to go live, but we have a website. It's in the works. Emma has been working on. I'm technically an admin, but I haven't done anything. <laughs> I logged in. Um, Emma's been doing all the work, and it's really cute, you guys. So get excited. You can go there. And then you'll be able to find all of our links. So you won't yes. have to remember all you of have our to remember all handles this. and things. You can also find our bingo card if you'd like to play along. If you're new here, it's a bingo card. It's in our link in bio. You'll figure it out. If you're old here, why haven't you been playing? You haven't shown us that you've been playing. Yeah, so. come on, guys. But thanks for listening. That's the minimum. Yeah, absolutely. Bingo's just extra. Absolutely. Bingo We're bonus. just glad you're here. Welcome. Thanks for coming. Yeah. Hope you Take stick a around. deep breath today. Unclench your jaw. Drink some water. That's what I was going to say. Mm. Yeah. Sit up straight because your posture is probably terrible. Do it. Even though you don't want to do it. Do it. <laughs> All right. Let's get into it. Oh, sorry. It. They didn't come here for aggressive affirmations <laughs> and self-care. Can we start was... the podcast with aggressive affirmations every single time now? You're beautiful. <laughs> You like are that, worthy! Like that one guy on TikTok that's like, he didn't love and respect you? Dump his ass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So let us know if you'd like us to do that, either in the yeah. middle of the podcast as like a little breather at the end, at the beginning, all of the above. Also, if you don't tell us whether or not you want us to do that, we'll probably end up doing it anyway, so... Well, I mean, to be real with you, this is our podcast, we're going to do what we want, <laughs> but we appreciate the feedback, because as we discussed previously... The void doesn't talk back. No. Although, or fight back. I'm but you all doesn't. are not the void. No. You, but you prove exist. that you're not the void. This podcast may not exist, but you are friends. You do. Supposedly. I haven't I haven't seen the proof. That's true. Maybe Conspiracy. you don't exist. Conspiracy. Conspiracy. Alright, what are we doing today? Well, Shannon, before we get into that, I have a question for you. Uh-oh. A setup. I love a setup. I know you do. Okay. So, I think there's only one show that we've been a part of together, but we weren't on stage together for. Can you remember what it was? Oh! <laughs> <laughs> it was Richard III. Yes, we have it was. I know what we're doing today. <laughs> okay. So, <laughs> our sophomore year, um, Shannon was in the Shakespearean play, Richard III, on the Sweetbriar stage. I was the uh, sound engineer, and it was it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of just like pressing buttons, and we didn't have mics for that show, so I didn't need to deal with it. <laughs> Emma's been really into big headphones for a long time. I've been very. We should find that photo and post it. <laughs> but if you if you have not yet guessed what we're talking about, as Shannon very much has, we are today talking about the princes in the tower. <laughs> so. You good? You just... That was just so aggressive. I was like, who am I? Richard Third? Like, <laughs> I meant that to be excited and it turned evil. But it did. It's fine. You're just, it's channeling the energy. It's, it's getting here. There you go. Hunchback. Hunchback. That's it. Well done. My fair lady, I am. <laughs> Two young princes go missing after their father's death and their subsequent internment in the Tower of London. All of England believes the boys were killed. But the question remains, by whom and why? So, a little bit of background is necessary to understand the political motive involved in the boys' disappearance. There are a lot of names, so let me know if you get lost, because I may have during all of this. 
But get ready for some Old English history. We're in 1455 England. Two branches of the same family are fighting over the throne. One is the House of Lancaster, led by King Henry VI, taking on the symbol of the Red Rose. Shannon is reenacting this very, very physically. Y'all can't see it, but I'm really enjoying it. The other, the House of York, was headed by his cousin, Edward IV, symbolized by the White Rose. Therefore, it then becomes the War of the Roses as they start to fight. Um, both were direct descendants of King Edward III, and the disputes over the throne had been plentiful already, but this was an explosion. By 1461, Edward IV finally imprisoned Henry VI in the Tower of London and took his throne. He had to fight to keep his crown, however, and fought for it on the battlefield away from London. In 1464 or so, there's some disagreement among historians of exactly when, Edward IV married Elizabeth Woodville in secret, with only her mother and the priest that married them privy to the event. Also, just pause, um, her mom's name was incredible. Her mom's name was Jaquetta, Countess of Rivers. She Dope. sounds like a magical being. Yeah. I'm into it. The court did not like the marriage when it was announced. Um, the distaste was not unexpected, which is probably why they married in secret, because Elizabeth was not considered a suitable match for Edward IV. Even though she was called, quote, the most beautiful woman in the island of Britain, end quote, and she was from a well-respected family, they had no titles. And they were also <laughs> real big supporters of the Lancastrian line. Remember, Edward is from the House of York. Hmm. He is now marrying a woman whose family is a very well-known supporter of the Lancastrians. And also, she's a widow, and her late husband had died on the battlefield for the House of Lancaster against the man she just married. Wow. So, drama. Some Romeo and Juliet business. Yes. Lots of drama. Also... Edward IV was contracted to marry Lady Eleanor Talbot, and others were vying for him to marry a French princess for allyship reasons. So he was directly going against what his court wanted for him and followed his heart, question mark? I'm not sure, like, what his thinking was there. I'm hoping it was love. Yeah. His cousin, the Earl of Warwick, was the one who wanted him to marry the French princess and got so mad at the fact that Edward married Elizabeth that he switched sides from York to Lancastrian, and he just put all of his own, like, power and money behind the Lancastrians because he was just so pissed. Wow. And you thought you and your siblings didn't get along. Right? Like, how petty? How petty can you be? Edward and Elizabeth seemingly had an awesome marriage from the outside, though, because they were together for 19 years and had 10 kids. Wow. Yeah. Wow, wow, wow. That's a lot of children. <laughs> I mean, she is the most beautiful woman on the island of Britain. Honestly. Although I will say there was a portrait of her where I think it's honestly just the costume, not costume, the clothing that she's wearing. She has like a little hat on, but it's like jutting out from behind her head. It looks funky, but it probably was like gorgeous at the time. But her face is gorgeous, so. She had two sons from her first marriage who were given prime positions in court or married nobility, as did some of her siblings. And the Woodvilles were just showered with favor from the king. It was also helpful, though, that the family who once were in full support of the Lancastrians were now fully integrated into the York, bolstering Edward's claim. So they were like, hey, we like it over here. It's fun over here. I don't mm -hmm. mind. 
1470, Lancastrian supporters somehow got Henry VI out of the tower. Edward IV fled to Flanders, Belgium, with his brother Richard, Duke of Gloucester, while his wife and kids went to Westminster Abbey for refuge. Sanctuary! <laughs> Name that Disney musical. <laughs> I mean, it was a movie first. It's a, music- it, it, it's a musical as a movie, though, right? Because it's a cartoon. It's a I Disney do- cartoon musical. I don't qualify animated movies as movie musicals. Is that weird? Is that wrong? No, I think that's right because it's not like a live action situation. Like, it's not real people. Yeah, but then I guess if it was like a... What's an example? Like, the Muppets Take Manhattan? Yeah. Do they sing in that? I, I'm i sure they do. I mean, a Muppet movie they do. Yeah, so, so like, if it's there's real people with animated or not human things, <laughs> then it counts. But in my head, I don't, yeah. Like, I'm like, no, it's just, it's a Disney movie. And you assume they're singing. I mean, I can totally see both sides of it. So, I understand. Anyway, cross (laughs) off that reference on your bingo card. That that fandom. If you count it as a musical. Well, I guess they do it in the musical, too. Anyway, they go to Westminster Abbey. Yes, they do. Yeah. Elizabeth arrived at the Abbey on October 1st, 1470, with her mother, her three daughters, and fully pregnant. A month later, she gave birth to Edward, the heir to the throne. Henry VI was re-crowned in an event known as the Readeption, but he didn't last very long on the throne, because (laughs) Edward IV returned in early 1471 and defeated Lancastrian supporters at the Battle of Tewkesbury, where Henry's son and heir was killed. You're a fool of a took. Please understand that every time you say Lancastrian, it's, it's, I just feel like it's Game of Thrones. I haven't seen Game of Thrones, but just that name, like that word yeah. feels so like it belongs in a fantasy novel. You're not wrong. It does feel that way. Also, the fact that everyone is like, this is my name, but this is what people refer to me as because I am Duke of blank. And then they just refer to them as the blank at all times. Yeah. It's very confusing. <laughs> well, I mean, it makes sense, like, like you're saying, if you don't have a title, then you're nothing, so you might as well be referred to as, like, the land that makes you worth knowing. That's fair. I understand. And also, that. everyone's named, like, James Edward Henry Richard. Everyone's named Richard. <laughs> like, come on. We have four names. Henry was again sent to the Tower, where he died in May. Whether he died by, quote, melancholy, slash, depression, or was murdered by Richard the Duke of Gloucester's men is still unknown. Um, There's a lot of mystery surrounding his death. This did effectively, though, end the Lancastrian line, which was super for Edward IV. He now had an heir in his new son, Edward, and there was no head of the Lancastrian line to contest his claim. So he was like, whoop, whoop, it mine. When Edward IV was restored as king, Prince Edward was invested as the Prince of Wales. Edward was sent to be educated in Ludlow Castle on the Welsh border, where Edward IV grew up, to be taught by his uncle, Anthony Lord Rivers. Anthony was a scholar and the Queen's brother, but he was also considered Edward IV's right hand. The prince's education was to be balanced so that he could study, but also have time to play with his dogs and horses in the countryside. So it was, like, very specific. The king, like, wrote out, like, this is what his day should look like. And it was, like, piecemeal of, like, 
he'll study at this time, but then he'll have time to go for like a ride and then he'll study at this time, but then he'll make sure to like, you know, play outside and you know, all this stuff, which I can appreciate. Balance. It's good. The household was to be free of, quote, swearers, brawlers, backbiters, common hazarders, adulterers, and words of ribaldry, end quote. Tag yourself. I'm words of ribaldry. I'm a brawler. (laughs) (laughs) Three years after Edward was born came the king's spare, young Richard, in 1473. At a year old, he was titled Duke of York. When he was four, he was both contracted to marry five-year-old Anne de Mowbray when they both became of age, and was also the Duke of Norfolk. He was titled the Duke of Norfolk as well. It is now tradition that the monarch's second son is titled the Duke of York, like Prince Richard. So apparently Harry is also the Duke of York. Well, not anymore. Oh, that's right, because he gave up his name. gave up his title. Mm-hmm. Drama. <laughs> so much drama. So much drama. Please understand that as you're talking and you say names, my brain is going, that's familiar. What's that? Uh, and then I picture the actor that played that person in our production. <laughs> I'm like, ah, oh, yes. <laughs> Young Richard. Yes. <laughs> Little boy blue. <laughs> Little tiny boy. Now, here's where things get dicey. Edward reigned mostly peacefully. <laughs> you guys. Shannon's physical comedy is just a bit too much for me, apparently, because she'll just, she just shook her hands together as if she was rolling dice and then went, whooshoo, with her hand outstretched, (laughs) but silently, so you couldn't hear it. I could just see it. I see. I thought you were going to miss it, so I'm I'm glad you saw it. I've got peripherals, apparently, for days. (laughs) All right. What's happening? Edward reigned mostly peacefully until April 9th, 1483, when he died at 41, probably of typhoid or pneumonia. Hmm. The thought was that because of his peaceful reign, his establishment of both an heir and a spare, and his own personal fortune, that the throne was secure. While dying, the king placed Richard, Duke of Gloucester, as the Lord Protector to his heir, basically meaning that because Prince Edward was not yet of age, he would need some counsel as he grew into his position. He would be king, but obviously didn't know the world yet, because he's uh, 12. Prince Edward was at Ludlow Castle and there received news of his father's passing. He was now king to be Edward V, and his brother, Richard, at nine, was the heir. Edward V was escorted by his uncle, Earl Rivers, and half-brother, Lord Richard Grey, to London. Richard, Duke of Gloucester, was in northern England when his brother died. Elizabeth and her family, smartly, decided to wait to tell him of the king's passing to try and establish the new King Edward on the throne and secure their own position in court. News reached him, however, a few days later, and Richard rushed to intercept his nephew on the way to London so that he could personally escort him, and did just that on April 29th. He dined with the royal entourage, and the next morning had Earl Rivers and Lord Grey arrested. They were subsequently executed. When Gloucester and Edward V reached London, Gloucester had his nephew sent to the tower, quote, for his protection, end quote. Mm-hmm. So Richard has some plans, but nobody likes them, as we'll see. So we've got a vulnerable widow in Elizabeth who was already unpopular at court, who has lost both her brother and one son to the Lord Protector, and another son has been taken from her. 
More family members and supporters were being rounded up and executed, and she was getting scared. In an effort to save what was left of her family, Elizabeth took her kids and servants and what possessions they could bring to Westminster Abbey once again. Sanctuary! <laughs> they arrived in April 1483 and had to break down a section of the abbey walls to get all of their possessions inside. <laughs> Those are some big doors. What do you, what? My guess is that they, like, brought beds and, like... Okay, but the doors of Westminster Abbey, are you trying to sneak in the side door or something? I have no clue. They're like, how do we be subtle about this? Break down a wall. Okay. (laughs) What? Well, and at this point, Westminster Abbey was an established sanctuary space so that it was basically off limits for anyone to, like, come and attack. It was this weird thing of, like, honor that was true at that time of, like, I promised I won't do nothing. Well, because at this point, we were still tight with the Pope. Oh, yeah. Over in Britain, so. Oh, yeah. You know. Yeah, these are, Westminster Abbey is, like, Catholic, like, I didn't like that. I'm sorry. We're not at Henry VIII yet, so there's no separation uh, from from the Catholic Church. Or I should say the Holy Roman Empire. So Elizabeth was most concerned with her son Richard and keeping the nine-year-old safe from Gloucester. Fair point. However, Gloucester eventually ordered that the prince join his brother at the tower and Elizabeth had to comply. She was getting a lot of pressure. Basically saying like, we'll take the rest of your family instead. And she was like, I don't want to give up any of my children. But at this point, she knew that Edward was alive and happy and fine in the tower so she was like you know what they're just gonna stick around there richard's their uncle he won't do anything to them it'll be fine i just love that shakespeare clearly was like women are unimportant because the three daughters are like not in the play not at all (laughs) no (laughs) you don't know they exist nope even though one of them is extremely important to, like, the rest of the reign in England. Or maybe... Just kidding. One of the daughters is. Is she? Like, this. Okay, guys, this tells you just how much we remember from a show that both of us actively worked on for an entire semester. Because Vanessa... Who was Vanessa playing? Little young girl that married she was. Creepy Man. Yes. Towards the that end was, of the play. Yeah. I mean, he was legitimately creepy in real life. His character was a good guy. It's that, that's Okay. Yes. Is she also named Elizabeth? Yes. Okay. So at least one of the daughters is in the play. But I don't remember her being on stage very much. It was mostly act one. Shakespeare! So she complied and she would never see her sons again, which is super sad. It was not suspicious that the boys were being kept in the tower. It was the starting spot for the coronation procession Um, And it was normal for a new monarch to stay there until the ceremony. The tower had a ton of uses. Like, it was, it was not just a prison or anything like that. It was, you know, there were royal palaces, basically, palace spaces in it. Um, It was where they made the money. Like, they, they would uh, make coins there. So a lot of stuff happened at the tower. But it was really good for, like, you know, keeping people in prison, not have anyone else who was around the tower know about it because that happened a lot too 
The coronation of Edward V was scheduled for June 22, 1483. They were minting coins and preparing for the procession. Everything was in order. However, in mid-June, just before the scheduled coronation, Parliament declared the marriage between Elizabeth and Edward IV invalid, based on the contract that he had had with Lady Eleanor. This then made the princes illegitimate, and neither could therefore be king. Because of this, the next in line for the throne was none other than Richard, Duke of Gloucester. His other brothers couldn't because, well, they were dead. One of them, Edward IV, had killed in the tower his boys were now being held in. Richard then became king, crowned Richard III on July 6th. He quickly had enemies at court, and Richard became a bit paranoid about being usurped. And the princes were said to still be in the tower. Now let's talk about the last time they were seen. The princes are mentioned in the records from the Great Chronicle from June 16th, where they were, quote, seen shooting arrows and playing in the garden of the tower sundry times, end quote. Sundry meaning, like, many times. Soon after this sighting, Italian chronicler and diplomat Dominic Mancini wrote the boys were, quote, withdrawn to the inner apartments of the tower proper, and day by day to be seen more rarely behind the bars and windows until at length they ceased to appear altogether. Already there is a suspicion that they have been done away with." End quote. Which is super scary. <laughs> because Mancini was a foreign diplomat, he wrote a report of what he saw and heard in court, and so his account is thought as pretty credible. He also suggests that they were moved from the garden to the White Tower where captive royalty is often kept. Mancini also wrote that Edward was regularly visited by a doctor during the time that they had been taken into the tower and seen less and less. There was an attempted rescue of the boys in late July, but it failed, and by the end of the summer it was as if the boys had never been there. So nobody knows. Rumors about what happened to the young princes spread following their disappearance, even to France, where the Lord Chancellor of France urged, urged the Estates General that the fate of the princes could be a warning for their own boy king, Charles VIII, who was 13 at the time. Because everyone's afraid of rebellion at all times whatsoever. Most chroniclers and recorders and writers of the time speculated that Richard killed the princes before he was crowned while others thought that it was the Duke of Buckingham who put them to death. Mancini's is It the... wasn't me. <laughs> oh, yes. It Sorry, wasn't me. we should have said, Shannon was the Duke of Buckingham in this. I was a duchess. I wore a That's terrible right. khaki skirt because we were in, like, a World, World War, War I. One situation. I don't quite That's know. right. You were the Duchess of Buckingham. The Duchess of Buckingham. It was really... You did really well. Thanks. I was terrified. I had never done Shakespeare before. It was good. I remember looking at the cast list being like, oh, cool. I probably have like four lines. And then we're at the read through and we're reading and there's a lot more than four lines. And I just remember sitting there being like, Dr. Kirshner, what are you doing? I know we don't have that many people to choose from, but what on earth were you thinking? Well, it didn't across, it come across that way. It was way. fine. I got... Uh, uh, spoiler, maybe, but I got beat up and then I got shot in the head and it was great. It was, it was, that was a really fun fight to watch. I, so fun. I, I love fighting people on stage. I wasn't really fighting back though. I was just kind of getting beat up. Yeah, you were really getting beat up. You got like a fake a cigarette to the face. Oh yeah, that happened. Yep. Yeah, good times. Yep. 
Mancini's is the only contemporary account, but it wasn't found until 1934. So any rumors from the time period can only be thought of as mass speculation with no evidence to back up their claims. However, people talk. So the thought that like Mancini kept stuff to himself or that other people who worked at the tower kept things to themselves is very <laughs> unlikely. Mm -hmm. Like what else are you going to do except talk? 30 years after the coronation of Richard III, an unfinished biography by Chancellor Sir Thomas More was written between 1513 and 1518, but he was writing it to validate the Tudor version of history, and so Richard was the ultimate villain, who ordered the boys to be killed by two servants. He asserts that the outward appearance of Richard III, his crooked back, his ugly face, and his small stature were evidence of his internal evil. This is the main source that William Shakespeare took for his play, Richard III. But most of it is probably not true. Thomas More apparently was like a baby when the, when the princes disappeared. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was going to say, because he's around for Henry VIII, right? Yeah, he's Henry VIII's uh, uh, There's translator. a whole lot of drama. I yeah. remember. I watched The Tudors. Very historically accurate show. <laughs> She says, she says sarcastically. <laughs> yeah, I don't even think I watched all the seasons, you did. so. Yeah. So truly, there's no hard evidence from the time that proves either way if the boys were murdered or not. Richard only lasted a few years as king, dying in the Battle of Bosworth Field on August 22nd, 1485. Henry Tudor, his opponent, took the throne on October 30th that year, crowned Henry VII and married Elizabeth of York in January 1486, the oldest sister of the young princes. There it is. The okay. War of the Roses officially ended with their marriage and they started the Tudor dynasty. Were you laughing because of you were thinking of the Henry, Henry Tudor? Yes. <laughs> Come Correct. on, Henry, you can do it. I don't remember the rest of the song, yeah. but it's good. If y'all yes, are on TikTok, I'm sure you've seen that it. That is exactly why I was laughing. Yeah, I'm going to tell you right now that that was all that was going through my brain while I was doing this whole research. Valid. So maybe there were some imposters who came up and said that they were one of the boys, and maybe they weren't imposters. So Lambert Simnel claimed that he was Richard the Duke of York before changing his mind and saying instead that he was Edward Plantagenet, 17th Earl of Warwick, this claim was obviously not credited, um, but Elizabeth initially believed it, which is so sad. She was like, my boy, he's back. Uh, but he retracted it, and she was eventually confined to Bermondsey Abbey, either by her own decision or by that of Henry VII. It's not confirmed. She had all of her land and uh, title taken away from her, mm -hmm. but it's thought that she probably sequestered herself in the abbey because it was where she felt safe. Which makes sense. In 1491, a man named Perkin Warbeck claimed he was Richard, Duke of York, the younger of the two princes. He explained that he had escaped from the tower and had been on the run ever since. For the next six years, he traveled around Europe trying to convince important people of his claim, including the Holy Roman Emperor at the time. Other royals recognized him too. James IV of Scotland called him Richard IV of England while the aunt of the real Duke of York, Margaret, was convinced as well. In 1497, after a failed attempt to invade England to take back the throne, Warbeck ended up in the Tower of London. 
Most historians don't believe his claim to be true and that those who recognized him were doing so for political gain against Henry VII, the current king. There was also speculation that because when they took him to the tower, they like beat the truth out of him. Mm -hmm. They were like, you're not Richard. You're not Richard. And he eventually was like, I'm not Richard. This is not (laughs) coerced at all. Yeah. And that they like specifically focused on his face and like to beat him up, Mm. which wasn't usual practice in order to potentially eliminate his Plantagenet features, Mm. which would have made him very recognizable to anyone who knew the children when they were young. But that's all, again, like rumor, speculation. Hearsay! There's nothing definitive in any of this. Possible evidence came in the form of skeletal remains years after the boy's disappearance. In 1674, almost 200 years after they disappeared, King Charles II wanted a portion of the Tower of London demolished. The spot he wanted gone included a turret that led up to St. John's Chapel in the White Tower. Workmen found, ten feet beneath the foundations of the staircase, a wooden chest with bones inside. It was almost... (laughs) You okay? This is creepy. It is. It was almost immediately concluded that they were the bones of at least two children. Eyewitnesses also said that they could see pieces of rag and velvet on the bones, and only royals could wear velvet. For the next four years, the bones became a bit of a sight, and people would go to the tower to see them. Charles II eventually had them reburied in Westminster Abbey in a monument designed by Christopher Wren, who was an extremely popular architect at the time, and... A lot of his designs you can see in modern architecture now. So go ahead, look him up. He's a cool dude. These bones went undisturbed until 1933 when they were removed to be examined. Lawrence Tanner, the archivist of Westminster Abbey, Professor William Wright, a leading anatomist, and George Northcroft, the president of the Dental Association, were the men conducting the exam of the bones. The bones were interred with animal bones accidentally, as well as some very rusty nails. One skeleton was noticeably larger than the other, but each had bones missing, including part of the smaller one's jawbone and all of the larger one's teeth. They had also been broken, probably by the workmen who found them. Remember that one was nine, the other was twelve, so the possibility of one being much larger than the other isn't completely out of the blue, because puberty comes to, for people well, at different what, times. So Was the doctor going for the younger one or the older one? What do you mean? When they were in the tower, a doctor... For the older one. Oh, okay, never mind. I was going to say, if, if the doctor was there for the younger one, it would be, like, make more sense. Like, the 12-year-old could have early puberty situation, and the 9-year-old is, like, sickly Six and small, small, but yeah. never mind. No, it was for... Apparently it was for Edward, according to Mancini. It was concluded that the bones were of the correct age for both princes, but the examination has been highly criticized, for good reason. The exam was looking for signs of suffocation under the presumption that these were the bones of the princes and they knew how they died. We don't know what happened to them. They didn't even try to determine whether the bones were male or female, which they really could have done because they had the pelvises. Mm -hmm. So the fact that that wasn't done as just like a, let's just check... Like, you'd think, and remember people, this the Tower of London, people actually lived in the Tower of London and still live in the Tower of London. Like... I followed that guy on TikTok. Yeah, exactly. 
like people live there. So the idea that there might be bones of people like somewhere, like it's not, it's a little weird because they're found under a staircase. Yeah, but like it could be somebody's like ladies maid, some secret children. I don't know. Exactly. Like, there could be a whole different kind of drama that is involved in this and you would not know because they had didn't try and... Also, forgive me for sounding, you know, silly, but if we're disinterring bones of anybody, which I feel like that's a whole other philosophical conversation of, like, how old do bones have to be before it's okay for, like, history, like, historical science reasons to unearth them? Yeah. You know, like, obviously anybody, any, like, contemporary bones... You have to get permission from the family. But I'm like, at what point... It does it become it an archaeological like, dig. Yeah, like, you know, how many years? Is it a time thing? Or is it just that there are no descendants that we can find to speak for you? So we're going we're gonna to do Finders, it. Finders, keepers. Yeah, like... But call me silly that if we're disinterring anybody's bones, ideally, you'd like to disinter them only the once. Right. Even though, like, I don't personally believe that, you know, their soul has bounced out. That's just the house where the bone, uh, you know, where the soul was living. But still, like, if you believe in stuff, you should respect and blah, blah, blah. You know what I mean? Like, if my... I know exactly. If my... I'm speaking this into the future. (laughs) But if for whatever reason my bones ever get disinterred because they've lost my identifying marker or whatever, I hope they do all the research... Even if they're only looking for one specific sort of thing, measure all of my bones, do the thing, identify me, you know what I mean? Check all the boxes. Get all of the data that you could possibly ever need before you put them back. Yeah. Check all the boxes. What are you doing? I don't really understand why it was that they were like, you know what, we're just going to look for cause of death. And then they didn't determine a cause of death. They literally well, they just determined. Thinking they already knew. Exactly. And with bones, it's probably. What's the, what's the name of that? What's what's it called? Where you. Do you know what I'm talking about? Where you only are looking for information to approve your hypothesis rather than. Oh, confirmation bias. Yeah, that. That. Yeah, exactly. That's truly what they were going in with. And it honestly makes me so angry. So. But it was also, like, 1933. Excuses. It's the only excuse I can come up with. So, the bones were reinterred, but a petition was started in the 2000s to request that the bones be DNA tested if the DNA could be extracted. The British government's e-petition website where the petition was hosted closed months before it was expected to. It had, like, a closing date, and it just closed months before that. It hadn't reached the 100,000 signatories that would have triggered a parliamentary debate, and it could have had it not been closed. Conspiracy! It has been pointed out, however, that if the bones are of the princes, um, it still does not answer the question of who or what killed them, but it would be nice to know if they are who we think they are. It's also interesting because, and I think everyone kind of knows this, because this happened not too long ago, that they asked, like, Queen Elizabeth, can you, like, give us permission to do all of this? Because technically, even though we don't actually have it confirmed, they're under the name of royalty. And so in order to exhume 
royal bones, you have to have permission of the royalty, and she hasn't given him any permission. So, that's interesting, because when when were the bones found again? The box of bones? In, like, the 1600s. So, but it's still, like, the Tudor line. So that's interesting, that they're descendants of, like, the... What am I trying to say? It's interesting that they were recognized as royals despite being disavowed in their life slash death time. Yeah. That I guess by that point they're like, yeah, that was like a hundred years ago. And I think too, because they were the sons of a once king. Right. Then they're well, still and, technically royalty, even if they were considered illegitimate at some point. Well, and like their sister married... The king. And she's essentially queen. Yeah. So, even though they were not eligible for... Quote, they unquote. were not heirs. They're associated. Yeah. Gotcha. So, and I think... A disclaimer. In America, we do not get, like, a whole rundown of the English monarchy. Like, I don't... I. <laughs> I don't know anything about this. I'm sorry. What gave you that impression? <laughs> I'm a scholar. I know everything. I watched the Tudor. <laughs> I watched the Tudors. No, this is not the first time on this podcast that we have exhibited the fact that we are we are Anglophiles, but we are not Anglo experts. Nope, not at <laughs> all. Whatsoever. Sorry, Crypt King. Sorry. But last time we said that, I got the impression that he didn't care that much. So we kind of Which is funny butchered his, his nation's history. Well, it, his mother is really into it. So honestly, hey, Crip King, can you just like ask your mom? Can you, Sarah? Sarah. Hey. <laughs> Hi. Can you give me a rundown? She'd probably be like, no. <laughs> you have the information in front of you. It's bonfight, you idiots. <laughs> Still my favorite Sarah King moment. I liked it when she taught you how to make toast because you were struggling. They That's have, a fun story, okay. too. They, the kings in their old house in London, because they have now moved, um, they uh, had an aga, which is just a huge oven that has different compartments in it that are all at different temperatures. It's a gas-heated oven. And it is always on. It warms the entire house. It's the heating system for the whole house. And it has on it two heating, like, spaces on the top of the of the cob that you, like, can pull up the uh, cover that's on there. And one of them is, like, at the boiling point and one of them's at, like, a simmer. And it's a fairly easy way to cook because normally you need it at either one of those two temperatures. So the way that you make toast on an aga is you have a slice of bread and you put it inside of this like wire contraption. Like if you ever grill like corn and it goes inside that like there's, it's like a cage almost. Or like over a, um, if you make like grilled cheese or whatever over a campfire. Exactly. But it's just, it's sandwiched between these two pieces of like wiry like metal and you put it on the on one of the cobs usually the boiling one so that it heats up really quick and you put the cover over it my first time in england specifically in london i was staying one night at the king's house 
And I had never had to deal with an oven like this. And I had been left to my own devices. It literally sounds like some medieval witchcraft. I looked at the thing and I went, I don't know what to do. (laughs) Like, I truly didn't know. All I wanted was toast. So I just ate bread that night. And the morning, in the morning when I woke up, I asked Sarah, I was like, how do you, how do you make toast? Do you have a toaster or something? Like, I didn't see it. And she was like, oh, here. She had to explain to me this whole situation where you, like, put it onto the onto the cob and you put the thing over it and all that. I keep calling it a cob. It's called a hob. Oh, see, I, I didn't know any different. Anyway, doesn't matter. But eventually I made toast. And I made it successfully. Until Bart came to uh, meet me at the end of that whole trip. Like, I ended up back at the king's house. And I completely burnt an entire piece of bread because I forgot that it was on the hop. And Sarah King... Just disintegrated. Well, it was just... It went through the, like... Because uh, it was just all black. <laughs> so it went through the wire. So it did disintegrate. It did disintegrate. You're not wrong. Um, you and so I had to figure out bread. how to clean a boiling hot oh. aga... Hob, I didn't know what to do, and so I think I think Bart helped me. He was either there or he was like on his way to the house, and I was like freaking out. You're Um, like hiding in the pantry. You're like, help, help, please, please. I don't know what I'm doing. (laughs) But I figured it out, and Sarah eventually. I told her because I couldn't help myself. I can't keep my mouth shut, and so I told her what happened. She goes, "Oh, it happens to me all the time." And I was like, in my brain, I'm like, I don't. So, Tom, I don't think that your mom would actually do that. I don't think she's as absent-minded as she pretended to be for me. She's um, polite. But thank her for me, for being a delightful human. And now after that brief... Now how did we get here? <laughs> I don't remember. I don't know. Let's talk about the second set of bones. What? Exactly. In 1789... St. George's Chapel, Windsor, was undergoing some repairs when workmen rediscovered and accidentally broke into the burial vault of Edward IV and Queen Elizabeth Woodville. Oh. Within the vault was a small adjoining vault containing two small coffins with no names or identifying markers anywhere on or near them. No inspection or examination was conducted and the tomb was resealed. It was inscribed then with the names of the children who predeceased the king, George, 1st Duke of Bedford, who died at 2, and Mary of York, who died at 14. And that that seems plausible, to that they were in, sure. in there. However, in 1810, two lead coffins, very clearly labeled as George and Mary, were discovered elsewhere in the chapel. These were moved to the adjoining vault near their parents, but no one at the time thought to identify the children already in the vault. It's just the amount of poor record keeping that happened in old school chapels and crypts is truly remarkable. Right? Like, like they, were, they were like, oh, we'll only tell like the head abbot of this institution who is who. And then once he dies, well, I guess it's doesn't up, matter. It's up to the ages. We only care about the very recently dead. <laughs> like... It's just, it's outrageous to me that they can be like, oh, we're going to do some repairs. We found dead people. We found dead Yeah, I feel like that happens in England a lot. Yeah. We just don't have enough history for that to happen. I don't think we do. I think New England if is more possible. If it happens here, it's because it's really serial killery. Yeah. Like the desert in Arizona that's covered bones. Yes. Or it's native 
uh, indigenous, you know, Native American burial that no one ever bothered to respect. That's, yeah. that's the other time that you run into yeah. surprise bones. Surprise bones! <laughs> surprise bones! <laughs> In the 1990s, the floor area of the chapel was being excavated to replace a boiler and make room for the remains of future deans and canons of Windsor, as it's a tradition for them to be buried there. A request was made of the dean to examine the two vaults of Edward of Edward IV's tomb, which was very close to where they were excavating, with a fiber optic, optic camera, or, if possible, re-examine the coffins in the adjoining vault. Royal consent is needed, as I mentioned before, to open any royal tomb, so it was felt that the best thing to do was to leave it for now, which is what the dean basically said. He's like, no, I don't want to do the paperwork. Nope. And in 2021, an archaeological dig renewed interest in the vault, but Queen Elizabeth II has not granted any approval to reopen the vault or examine the bodies. So. Lilibet, what are you doing, ma'am? I'm not quite sure what she's up to. Look, you got a lot going on. Your husband, so sorry. Prince Andrew, terrible. But your daughter seems really nice. Yeah, but like, let's be real. The royal family could use some good press. Truly. And solving a historical mystery would be pretty exciting. I don't really understand the reasoning of not. Like, I don't I don't understand why, why saying no is the more, like, preferable answer. Well, and... Yeah, because I could see if they were, like, descended from the bad guy. Like, if Richard III had an heir and it, you know, things had gone very differently. I could see wanting to ignore the fact that your, like, great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather murdered children. Yeah. I get that. But it's not. He's been painted the villain. Perhaps more so because of Shakespeare, and that's why most people know about him. But still... Also, don't don't you want to know? Look, maybe she's just very tired. I look. She's been. <laughs> I think she is. She's been doing her job for quite a long time. For so, she's the longest reigning monarch. I th- I truly think she just refuses. She's like, I will keep going on spite alone, just spite. Which she's just waiting point, for Charles to die, and then she's like, "Great, I'm out." Truly. So that William can take the throne. She can be like, thank God. He's not ideal, but we'll take it. It's... I love... Sorry. Welcome to... Royal Royal, Corner. Royal Detour chat. Royal Detour. I like that. I am obsessed with all of the memes that are like... As soon as William started showing his true colors... Diana from heaven, snatch back those good genes. None for you. <laughs> no more hair. <laughs> because if you look at William and you look at Harry, like I feel like if you were to tell Gen Z teenage girls that back in our day, William everyone was, was like, oh my God, Prince William. Like he Princess, was hot. Princess Diaries 2. <gasps> yes. Like he, he got the yes, but they were like, Ugh, he can't because... He's the heir, and, like, you're the heir to the Genovian throne, so it can't but work. But, guys, William was hot. He was, yeah, he, it was all about him. Kate fell in love with him when he still had hair. And when, apparently, he was being a cheating little jerk face up at St. Andrews. Mm-hmm. But. And, okay, a little bit of tidbit. 
Bart actually went to St. Andrews, mm-hmm. where the royalty always get schooled. Bart is not royal, unfortunately. <laughs> Though he is the king of my heart. Oh, well done. Thank you, thank you, thank you. But because I, I have asked him, like, did you ever see them? Apparently they obviously are at least, what, six years older than Bart? I have no idea. Anyway, they apparently came back to judge a, like fashion show or something because St. Andrews always has a fashion show every year and they came back to judge and the entirety of St. Andrews was like basically like in a tizzy because they were like losing <gasps> their business like they're here they're here OMG. meanwhile the actual students of St. Andrews were like I can't get to my class <laughs> excuse me I'm just trying to learn economics <laughs> yeah just shout understand out, shout out to the queen uh, one more detour it's okay I read a book it's called HRH. It's all about yes. how style is used as a political tool, which I know at first blush sounds ridiculous, but it's truly fascinating how the different women in the royal circle use it and the way the queen, like, you know, she's got her little uniform. Like, she really she's got does. Her gloves and her handbag, but the whole idea, like, because I just was always like, she's the queen. She can do what she wants. She wants to wear bright colors because it makes her happy. Maybe maybe that's true. But the main thing is that she wants to be instantly identifiable in any crowd, in any photo. So people can be like, huh. Found the queen. That person wearing a green screen? The queen. <laughs> I found her. And like, when like Kate or when Diana, when they would go to different countries, how they would incorporate like, symbols of whatever country they were visiting. It's fascinating. So if that sounds cool, you should read the book. You can read it very quickly because it's mostly pictures. It's beautiful, though. I've Um, I've flipped through yours. Yeah. It's just fun times. And it's so fascinating. And I feel like some people in the UK are probably like, why do Americans care so much? It's just for the same reason that I love hearing about, like, sorority drama, or I love hearing from people who went to Liberty University. Not that I want to have lived that experience, but it's so distinctly different from my life experience and, like, my realm of knowledge that I'm like, please tell me everything, because you could be from a different planet, is how that feels. Absolutely. You know what I mean? I know exactly what you mean. So, that was, that's been Royal Detour. Let me steer this double-decker red bus back onto the road. (laughs) Queen Elizabeth has not given permission. We don't understand why. What else is happening, Emma? Well, now we're going to talk about how the princes have popped up in culture. Pop culture. (laughs) I'm funny. (laughs) So, of course, with a case as old as this one, iterations of the story have been told and retold multiple different ways since the princes first disappeared. So many books have been written on or inspired by this unsolved mystery, including four books by Philippa Gregory, who wrote, like, a crap ton of books Mm. about, like, the English royals. Did I send you that TikTok of someone explaining why they don't like Philippa Gregory? No, but you need to. Okay. Should I explain it here on the pod or just keep... Well, I'll let you know that George R.R. R. Martin's A Clash of Kings was also inspired by this. So you oh. were right when you said Game of Thrones. Look at me. Look at me go. But yes, now please. Basically, she's saying that her issue with Philippa Gregory is that she's like, I have no problem with historical fiction that's based on real people. 
no problems at all. Like Hilary um, Mantel, Montel, who write, wrote like the Wolf Hall trilogy, that's royal based. Mm-hmm. But Hilary Mantel states like, yeah, my books are like filling in the gaps where we have no idea, or I fictionalized it so it would be more interesting. Philippa Gregory is over here in the corner being like, oh, <laughs> I don't know, it could have happened this way. Yeah, maybe Anne Boleyn did sleep with her brother. Ha ha ha. So, like, basically Philippa Gregory, like, believes what she writes, and that's not... That's terrifying. Yeah, it's like, no, that's not... That's not how fiction works. Just because you wrote historical fiction doesn't mean it's how it... No. No. <laughs> You're not a biographer. That's, yeah, but... So just, I thought that was funny. That is weird. My mom used to read her books, but my mom doesn't read all that much, so I think my mom read one of her books in one year. Like, it took her that long. So researchers have written plenty of books on this subject as well, interwoven with Richard's history or on its own, like with the book aptly named The Princes in the Tower by Alison Veer. Though a very thorough book, she has been criticized for speculating a bit too much on the fate of the young boys with no backing, but I think... I'll argue here that there isn't much to go off of anyway, so speculation's mostly all you can do. So yeah. calm down. But that's the whole point, historical mysteries. Well, and yeah, and it's not as if she's basically saying, so this is the evidence we have, but the thing we don't have is this, and then this is why this theory works. Right. She's it's not, not making multiple leaps. Exactly. So, because I actually own the book, which is why I decided to start this. I have read it before, but I didn't read it this past week. I skimmed through it to check through, like, what I remembered. But I think I, I, it's it's an interesting book, and it's an interesting... There's more than just one theory in it. Mm-hmm. Like, she's not sticking to one theory. She has one that she's like, this is probably what I believe the most. But she involves all of them. Mm-hmm. So, I think it's interesting. In TV, both documentaries and fictionalized pieces have been inspired or included the Young Princes. The first series of Black Adder, which I think I've mentioned here before, it was a uh, British television show uh, starring Rowan Atkinson and Hugh Laurie. Um, Very funny series. Each uh, season is a different period of history, and the first is during the time of what would be Henry VII. But uh, in Black Adder... It's an alternative history, a comedic one, where the princes survived and grew to adulthood with Prince Richard taking the throne after Richard III died in battle. Um, They also don't mention Prince Edward in the script at all. (laughs) They were just like, eh, he died. (laughs) Wow, a reverse. Usually it's the second child that gets that is the, it will, forgotten. Yeah, but it, whereas like Richard Richard the Fourth, I guess at this point was like, ha ha, I win. In 1984, there was a Channel Four broadcast of a four-hour trial of Richard the Third on the charge of murdering the princes, which I find, first of all, four hours is too long. No, let me tell you, you can get it done in like an hour and a half because we definitely did like a Shakespearean trial mm-hmm. in our. AP English class in, like, two 50-minute class periods. Yep. That's all you need. But there was a judge, barristers, jury, everything. However, the jury found in favor of the defendant, uh, Sir Richard III was not charged. Slimy bastard. Yep. And, of course, the most famous piece of media to be produced was William Shakespeare's Richard III involving the story of the boys, but it was heavily taken from Thomas More's unfinished biography, 
But let's remember, too, that Shakespeare wrote this play with Elizabeth I in mind. Her grandfather, King Henry VII, was Richard's number one enemy, so casting Richard as the ultimate villain was both a posture and an accusation. Richard is also blamed for stabbing in, in the play. Richard is blamed for stabbing the deposed Henry VI in the tower and ordering the execution of his brother George, Duke of Clarence, in a butt of Malmsey wine, which Edward actually did. He ordered James Tyrell to kill the two princes so that he had no one challenging his claim to the throne. The whole cast is here. <laughs> so let's jump into our theories. Of course, Richard III is the most popular and the likeliest to have either murdered the boys, ordered the murder, or had them disappear in some way. Richard was super paranoid about his claim to the throne anyway, since he stole it, and the court really did see Edward V as the true heir to the throne. They didn't really like Richard all that much. The rescue attempt just raised Richard's anxiety about the boys becoming figureheads for rebellion, and the York establishment were already not happy with him. By late 1483, the year they disappeared, rumors were already circulating that they had been killed, but Richard never attempted to prove otherwise, which probably means they were dead. Can I interject? Of course you may. If I were a sketchy monarch who maybe had done some things to gain my position, and I was trying to eliminate two little boys that were a threat, I would just send them back to the country to be schooled because in the country lots of things can happen. You can fall off a horse or fall into a river, or, you know, a bunch of other things, I feel like that would not have raised as much attention. Obviously, murdering anybody, especially children, is terrible. But if you were trying to be successful and not raise suspicion, Richard, you could have thought, I get it, like, keep your enemies close, like, your friends close, your enemies closer, but, like, I guess he probably didn't trust anyone to, like... I, execute yeah. the plan in the country. but I think he was just so paranoid that he needed to keep eyes on everything. Interesting. Apparently, Richard III was away from the court, going through the Yorkist heartlands, trying to get some support, when the princes disappeared. So he may not have murdered them in person, but they were guarded by Richard's men, who could have certainly murdered the princes on his behalf. But regardless, Richard would have known about it. Nothing would have happened without his knowledge. One such person is named in Shakespeare's play. His name was James Tyrell. He Tyrell! Was... Tyrell! I'm sorry. All the inside She's jokes reliving are like it. coming back. She's reliving it, you guys. Oh, gosh. <laughs> he was a real knight who fought for the House of York and was an avid supporter of Richard III. Thomas More says that Tyrell admitted to being dispatched by Richard to murder the boys, which is highly speculative because we don't have it written down anywhere. Also murdered me, just saying. Oh, yeah! Buckingham was offed by Tyrell. Bye. And implicated two other men, but couldn't say where the bodies were, claiming that Robert Brackenbury, the constable of the Tower of London, moved them. Release the Brackenbury! <laughs> Janet's having a great time, I'm you guys. Deal. You don't listen to the podcast, but I love you. This confession is only found in the version written by Thomas More, although some historians find it credible based on Tyrell's quick rise through the ranks during Richard's reign. 
Which, fair, but he was also, like, one of the only, like, big supporters of Richard at the time. Especially at the beginning. Because people ended up being like, oh, well, I guess I'm on your side now. Whereas initially they were like, what are you doing? There was no formal accusation made against Richard on this matter in particular. The Bill of Attainder, which push punishes the accused without trial, was brought by Henry VII after Richard's death, but made no definitive mention of the prince's fate. It did accuse him, though, of, quote, unnatural, mischievous, and great perjuries, treasons, homicides, and murders, in shedding of infants' blood, with many other wrongs, odious offenses, and abominations against God and man, end quote. This shedding of infants' blood is probably an allusion to the prince's murders, but could also just be another accusation tacked onto all the rest. You're a baby murderer, and also a murderer of, of adults, and you're also really mean. And you smell. And you smelly. <laughs> Some historians also believe that killing the boys would have been a truly awful political move. He could have cultivated a better relationship with his brother's family, but instead the, pos the possibility that he murdered their sons made them pledge their loyalty to Henry Tudor harder. Like, we'd want nothing to do with you because you probably killed our kids. Bye. Mm -hmm. So our second suspect is Henry Stafford, second Duke of Buckingham. <gasps> I didn't know that was my name. <laughs> is this my son? Bucking Buckingham was Richard's right-hand man. Oh, it was me! Yes, it was you, ma'am. But fell out with him in October of 1483. It's true. The thought is that Buckingham must have been the one to act on Richard's behalf and murder the boys. The boys disappeared in June or July. Maybe Buckingham, and of course, probably somebody else, like James Tyrell, murdered the princes without Richard's say-so, and fell out because while Richard was away, Buckingham was essentially in charge and took action on something that Richard didn't ask for. And that is why they fell out, and so Richard executed Buckingham in November of 1483. You did. Yeah. Can I tell you something? Sure. So the way that this fight went, I got the snot beat out of me off on the little side stage in front of the audience. And then everybody, well not most of us that died, got taken behind a screen. So it was like a projection, like you only yeah. saw shadows. And I supposedly got shot in the head. It, you know, that's where Emma came in with the sound effect. I pressed my button. Yep, and I go, and down I fall down. But I have no chill. <laughs> and I was not pushed. I was operating under my own power. More than once, when I fell over, I was too enthusiastic and I would bonk my head on the stage. And then, like, the light would go out and we'd have to, like, sneak around the back of the set and I would just slowly be like... <laughs> and, my, and the actor that played Tyrell <laughs> would be like, are you okay? Did I do something? And I'm like, no, I just... <laughs> It's too enthusiastic. About... She didn't learn that pratfall, you guys. Nope. But then I did love the scene where we all, all the dead people, we came back and we were creepy ah. and ghosty and Richard was not having a good mental health day. Good no, times. he was not. So Duke of Buckingham was the only person other than Richard to be named as a suspect in contemporary writings. 
because he was the only other possible person who would have been in charge of anyone else to say, hey, go kill these kids. Which makes sense. I plead the fifth, which doesn't make sense because we're in England, but... I plead not to talk. (laughs) Our last one is Henry VII. So Henry, after having defeated Richard III in battle, would also be threatened by the prince's claim to the throne. His claim was based on conquering. However, the legitimacy of his wife, and therefore her inheritance, had been sent as illegitimate, and so he repealed the titleless Regius that had declared her and her brothers as such before he married her. So he basically reinstated them. Yo, that's shady. Wow. Mm. It is suggested that the princes were executed under Henry's orders between June 16th and July 16th, 1486, well after they disappeared, because it was only after this date that orders were sent out to circulate that Richard had killed the princes. This was probably just to gain support and villainize Richard, who was already dead and couldn't defend himself, and there is about just as much evidence for Henry as there is for Richard. But I feel like Henry has more reason. But of course no one's going to say that because he's the head of the new monarchy. Exactly. Ooh! So there are a few other possible subjects, but none have as good enough potential as the Henrys and, the, and Richard. Wow. It is also possible that Edward V, the boy having been visited by a doctor during his time at the tower, could have passed away of natural causes. And Richard really did escape and was one of the men who claimed to be him. There is another possibility that the boys were smuggled out of the country to keep attention away from them as heirs and keep them out of harm's way, potentially with an aunt, the Duchess of Burgundy, who renamed them and schooled them. And since they were out of the country, Richard couldn't produce them to prove he hadn't killed them when rumors started to spread. Mm. So those are all of our possibilities. My thought is that Richard did it. I know. I I want it to be Henry only because there's so much more motive there, but because of when they disappeared, it feels weird for them not to have reappeared at some point between the time that Richard was reigning to when Henry took the throne. Well, and also, if Henry VII was responsible, and he did it, I mean, the real reason would be to erase any other threats to the throne, but the other primary reason was to vilify Richard. Who he had killed in battle. Exactly. Who couldn't say yay or nay. Like, you'd think that after he was established, he would quote-unquote, discover their remains so he could pin it on Richard more emphatically to be like, look, the rumors are true. Thank goodness that villainous dog is no longer walking the earth. And there was no investigation on his part opened into the possibility of the boys being murdered. He literally did nothing except to spread the rumor that Richard killed them. See, that that takes me in the other direction, though. That's some sketchy behavior. But if he found them, then he would basically have to give up the throne if he was still going to be like, I, you know, 
I don't know. It it feel it, this is where my my understanding of monarchy is a bit iffy because everybody just seems to take what they want. Like it doesn't seem like there's well, a real status situation. If he found them, why would he have to give it up? Because they would be the true heirs to the throne. But if they were dead, it wouldn't matter. No, that's what I mean. It's like if they were alive, if he found them and they were alive. Oh, <laughs> yeah, no, I did not get that. I was like. Emma, I don't understand. Like, okay, so they're legitimate. They're dead. <laughs> like, he married their legitimate sister, so now he's good. Like, what's going I don't understand. No. If they were still alive and he found them. I see, I see. Which is why in that thought process, he'd have to kill them if he found them alive. That right. Kind of I mean, here in magical podcast land, where mm-hmm. everything works out for the best mm-hmm. and, you know... Maura Murray and her Mountie are married up in Canada, etc., etc. Her name is now Maura Murray Mountie. Yes, exactly. Um, the paintings from the, the Isabella store gardener are just like in some mobster's grandma's basement. We'll find them eventually. In this happy podcast universe, I'm going to choose the Anastasia option where at least one of them got smuggled out and became like a farmer or yeah. a schoolmaster and was super happy with his existence and was fine he could just ride horses all day yep. and not worry about anyone trying to come kill him or the crumbling of the english monarchy yeah yeah that's a lot for a 12 year old i just that's where my brain immediately went of like i completely understand that they were like we need someone who'd be like the lord protector to take care of this the Lord 12- protector. The Lord protector to take care of this twelve-year-old, but like in my brain, I'm like, okay, if you're under a certain age, you just like, you're not king yet. <laughs> well, also, like, can we just be Egyptian about it and like, your mom is gonna look out for things while you're a child, right? But we're like, ugh, women, man, so ridiculous. All right, so you think escaped? No, I don't think that's. I don't think that's. You don't plausible, think that. <laughs> but you know, and happy if if we all lived in happy podcast universe, that's what it would have been. Yeah. But we don't. I don't know. I want to say. I want to say Henry the Seventh, just because that's juicier and drama, and I feel like it gives people who have negative feelings about the the modern monarchy like more ammunition to be like, this is founded on. Yeah awfulness There's and inbreeding and blech. <laughs> oh, I saw a, in in Alison Veer's uh, book, she has a handwritten, which I think she did, a handwritten family tree. And it literally, it, guys, it's just a bush. It's not even a tree. Like, they're barely branched off. Look. They're all related. They're all related. There's so many of them. Clearly, there's some decent genes in there because Queen Lizzie's still going strong. Out of spite, I truly think. Like, absolutely. I think she recharges herself on just like the tears of her servants, and (laughs) I don't know. She's just leeching the life force out of Charles. That's it. There we go. Have you seen that man? I mean, she was doing it to Philip initially. (laughs) Okay, but. Before I got, like... Sorry, Lizzie. (laughs) Before I got very interested in, like, the royal family, I... When you see pictures, like, I thought that Charles was her husband. Because, to me, they both look old. But then you see a picture of Prince Philip, and you're like, oh, my God. It's the Crypt Keeper. (laughs) It's the Crypt Keeper. 
truly. So, like, it just blows my mind. But she, she's keeping it tight. She is good to go with her bright colors and her little handbag. And I love that she has a code that, like, when she switches her handbag, it means, like, I'm bored with this peasant. Take them away. <laughs> but, like, she's too polite to say that. So she just has like, to be like, oh. And then Switch somebody comes in and is like, excuse me, your majesty. <laughs> like, somebody needs to talk to you on the phone. That's so funny. And the fact that she shaded Donald Trump with her jewelry. Yes. And he went over. She was like, oh, you see this? Michelle Obama got me this. What about it? Welcome. You know, you know Michelle? You know her? Have you seen <laughs> Mrs. Obama to you, miscreant. <laughs> like, I would just love, uh, we're never going to get it because they're so aggressively, like, tight-lipped about stuff, but... I'd love to think that she's keeping a diary and then someone, you know, once she passes in like another 80 years, it'll be like Prince Philip's will is going to be locked down for like 90 years. So our like great, 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 great grandchildren will get to read about the drama. We'll tell them to write it down and then throw it in a fire so we can get it in heaven. I don't want all that. I do. Well, but at that point, if we're in heaven, we're in the cocktail party Everybody's going to be talking about it anyway, so. Well, that's what I'm saying. I'm like, there better not be some, like, you ever send information up. I better be omniscient. (laughs) Shannon wants to be God. (laughs) No, I don't want that responsibility, but I want to be up in everybody's business. I don't want to have to, look. What's the Greek goddess of gossip? I'm looking this up (laughs) right now. Her name is Feme. (laughs) Not to be confused with meme. (laughs) She's also known as Asa. She was the goddess or personified spirit of rumor, report, and gossip. She was also, by extension, the spirit of fame and good repute in a positive sense and infamy and scandal in the bad. I take it all. I love that. I know. So you're, instead of Miss Fame, you're Miss Feme. I'm Miss Feme. My drag name. Yep. Here we go. Like, but I have to, like, before I come on stage, like, I lower the projection screen and it has, like, a PowerPoint. It's a PowerPoint. In, like, Comic Sans. <laughs> By Miss Feme. Miss Feme. Mm-hmm. That would be a great comedy drag show. I would love that. I will come to that. Can we do that, please? Well, you're going to have to help me with my makeup, so. Okay. I'm in. Come on. Well, that, my, my dudes, I was going to say my guys, <laughs> my girls, my gals, my non-binary pals. Yes. Guys are included. I just didn't say you. I'm sorry. Um, eh, they're fine. So I've like all, Sorry, Crip King. All of history. Sorry, Bart. Um, that was the Princess in the Tower. Thank you. Thank you. We also have our uncredited host here, the Spirit of the Couch. If you haven't noticed him already, he's a talker. He's my he's talker. co-host. We're very close. Yeah, you guys are real close. <laughs> You're cuddle buddies. <laughs> it's fine. He's helped me through a lot of ridiculous haunted nonsense. I will say there are sightings of the princes in the tower, and I didn't write them down specifically because we're recording this at 9 o'clock at night. Ghosts! Yeah. Haunted! There you go on the bingo card. There You're you welcome. What? Would you like to know them? Yes. Come on. Gosh. <laughs> okay. All right. Here's where. Here's where my line. Okay. Goes. Historical ghost is fine. <laughs> because I don't necessarily believe in ghosts, 
So other people experiencing that, I'm like, oh, that's cool. But when it's like a tangible, creepy object. Okay, here, I'm trying to like draw the line so that I'm not constantly scaring you. I appreciate it, but I feel like when it's in a historical context, it's not that bad. Like we've told Sweetbriar ghost stories. That's fine. If you're about to be like, someone was sleeping in the tower before they got married and they woke up to a cold chill and then a child was standing over them. Like, maybe not that, but like, you know, oh, some little kid walked through a wall and a maid was like, oh my. Also, you don't have to, if you don't have it prepared. I just feel like that's part of the, the lore. So I'm just going to read you the Exploring Castles uh, website. Version Excuse me? Of the what ghosts. A, what a good source. Right? Exploring castles. Exploring castles. castles. Um, so the ghosts of the murdered princes and the headless specter of Anne Boleyn. Oh, That's what the second besties. is called. They're chilling. They're besties. In 1483, the two young princes were infamously, potentially, murdered in the tower, with their murder remaining unsolved to this day. The shadowy figures of two lost little boys holding hands are a relatively common sight in the White Tower as they drift between rooms and melt into the walls. That is literally it. Okay, see? That wasn't so bad. That's all I could find on here. I know that there was more, but... Because I just pictured them like ghosts from Harry Potter. Yeah. Like the movies. Basically. Not that creepy. Yeah, not that creepy. But, um, you've been to the Tower of London, right? Yes. Actually, multiple times. Can I tell you very much about it? No. That's fine. I've also been to the Tower of London. And I remember walking through it. I was by myself because Bart had a uh, work conference that I was like, I'm going to go to London with you. And he was like, great. You're not going to see me most of the day. And I'm like, that's fine. You're like, that's ideal. (laughs) I'd rather wander around London than bother you the entire time. Not that I don't love traveling with him because actually he's a really good traveler. But I walked through the Tower of London by myself. I went as soon as it opened. Um, and I left as soon as all of the uh, school kids started to come through, which was, like, noon. And I got there at, like, 8. So it was fun. But I remember walking through it. And I, guys, I desperately, I desperately want to see a ghost. It's like a cat. Yeah, they know the ones who don't Although want Although by them. that logic, I should be crawling with ghosts. Because I just don't really care. Yeah. And I made it through all of Sweetbriar without... One ghost encounter. A, uh, no. A, but I did trick, not on purpose, but someone else thought I was a ghost. Because I... We were... You le- haunted somebody while you were alive, not Shannon McCarthy? Yeah, not on purpose. Uh, we were leaving the theater after rehearsal. We'd been in the green room for notes, which always take way longer than they need to, because people want to talk back, which is unnecessary. But we were going to leave. Some people went out, you know, kind of the back side entrance out of the green room. A couple people went out through the front, I think, because they had parked. Mm -hmm. And for whatever reason, they didn't want to walk outside. And we had gone out the side entrance of the theater itself, like the auditorium space. Because, like, all the doors were unlocked during the school year. (laughs) But I had forgotten my keys on the table. So I, like, came back in. I did the thing where you, like, get halfway to the car and then you're like, oh, shoot. And I went back inside. And I guess it was Mylan and Ashlyn were in, like, the lobby of the theater. So all the way at the front. And, like, I must have 
caught the door on my way in. Maybe. I don't <laughs> If either of you listen, please write in. Either way, basically, I was like, I like ran across the stage, grabbed my keys and like left and the door slammed either once or twice. But basically they heard a sound. They were like, hello. And, and then I guess I didn't hear them. And all they heard was like the jingling of keys. And then the door slammed again. <laughs> so they were like, what the what was that? And it was just me <laughs> getting my keys. It's <laughs> like, that's not the theater ghost. But nope. There are like a couple ghosts that people are like, yeah, if you look for, there's like a guy in a top hat and a whoever and Daisy, you know. Yeah. And I'm I mean, like, I've had my encounters with Daisy, but it was never like I saw her. Like I want to physically see an apparition. For some reason, it like isn't solid in my brain of like that was definitely a ghost. Like it could possibly have been wind. Like I would be. I don't need that though. I don't. I mean, I don't need it, but I I'm but not adverse to it. But Anyway. Dad probably saw a ghost this weekend. Oh. It was very funny because he was looking... My parents are, are like, window lurkers when it comes to stores. Oh. Like, and if they're closed, the, my parents will, like, put their faces up to the glass to see what's inside if the lights aren't on. And my dad did just that in one of the antique store windows in Fredericksburg while we're walking back to their hotel trying to get home at, like, 8 o'clock at night. And my dad was... He, like looked in the window, looked away, looked back in the window, like did a double take and then came and met up with us. And he was like, I just saw a dude in, in the, in the antique store. Um, and then I looked again and he wasn't there. My mom immediately said, he probably turned a corner. My dad was like, it's an open space. Like he, <laughs> he was basically like, I saw a ghost, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> it's a birthday ghost. It's a birthday ghost. It was my father's birthday this weekend. Happy birthday, Dad. Shout out to the Bone Shaman. The Bone Shaman. He's 65. (laughs) So there weren't as many ghost stories as I thought there were, but I think it's mostly that, like, the main report. I bet if you talk to some people who worked at the Tower of London, they. Oh, absolutely. I'm sure. Isn't it a thing that, like, sometimes you can, like, hear the echo of, like, Anne Boleyn's scream or something like that? Yeah. Something drama. Lots of drama. I love it. Drama. You know, I love it because I'm Feem. You're Feem. Miss Feem. Miss Feem. <laughs> All right, we got to go, you guys. <laughs> wow, what a fun time. We've gone so many places on this royal detour. I'm enjoying it, though. And remember, this podcast doesn't exist. Ooh, we're getting synchronized. It's making me happy. <laughs> Only on take two. Marker. Action. Oh, wait, no. Stop action. (laughs) Cut.